It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Do you agree? Come on now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Uh, we're going to turn in our Bibles uh, today uh, uh, to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. We're back there. Revelation chapter 2. You know, I always find uh, um, outreach very, very, very interesting. Um, last Saturday, it was a beautiful sunny day. A few of us were out there with the, with the equipment outside Princess Key, just, just preaching, uh, preaching the word of God. And we had various responses. We had people that were happy, uh, people that were glad, but also people that were mad as well. It's just, it just, the name of Jesus does that. You know, you, you don't believe me, just go out to town, shout Jesus and see what happens. It, it's one of those, it's one of those things. Uh, uh, but outreach always interests me because of that response. Um, I remember we went to an impact team. We, we took a whole busload of us to Barnsley, our church in Barnsley. A few of us there, remember, was in Barnsley. And as we was preaching the gospel, was, all we was doing was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it came to a head where we started to get people that would come around and there was like a crowd of people. Um, some people were, again, some people were happy, but some people were just uh, anti-Christ, literally. Uh, they didn't like what we were saying. Uh, we had a, a, a grumpy old man who was coming, running off his mouth. Uh, we had some security guards who came uh, and were just trying to, you know, all sorts of things. It was just, it was just a lot of uh, persecution. It was coming against us. Uh, I forgot to mention, even last Saturday when I was out there preaching, we, I was preaching, uh, uh, Connor was preaching, uh, Princess was preaching, uh, Ronald was preaching. I remember when Princess was preaching, fire must have been too much fire. Someone came and tried to unplug it actually unplugged the speaker. Thank God none of us were near the speaker at the time because we had to, that would have been a temptation right there. Come on now. But I really say that because when you're out there, you're kind of pushed at this place. And I remember in Barnsley, Isaac, he said something to me. Isaac is over there in a nice tie over there. <laughs> Isaac, he said something to me. He says, listen, I would love to be arrested for Jesus. He said that. He said, I would love to be arrested, like, take me to prison for Jesus. I'm like, wow, this guy's a man of God. And then I said, you do realize, right, if you were to get arrested, you'll get deported. <laughs> and he's like, hey, all right, you listen, hey. <laughs> he's like, you know what, time out. You know, maybe, maybe Jesus is like, hey. <laughs> if they start arresting people, I might have to step back a little bit. <laughs> Praise God. He said, when I get my papers, then I'll be arrested for Jesus. Come on. <laughs> Praise God. But the reason I say that is because, uh, uh, you know, whether we like it or not, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that's exactly what you're going to do. Follow Jesus. And if you look at where Jesus ended up, it, it took him to a place of pain. It took him to a place of uh, uh, tribulation. It took him to a place uh, uh, of persecution. And I want to speak uh, uh, about the persecuted church uh, this evening. You know, if you've been following us on Wednesdays, we're here talking about the, the last things or the end times. Uh, um, and we've moved over to the book of Revelation now. Uh, and we've moved over to uh, uh, John who was exiled in the island of Patmos, who got the vision from Jesus Christ. Uh, and he was, uh, Jesus was dictating him things to write down. And we're moving, we're talking about the letters he wrote uh, to the seven 
different churches. We spoke last week about the church in Ephesus, talking about the church that lost its first love and how we need to go back to our first love. And the thing about these letters are they were addressed to actual churches, physical churches, but it wasn't just to them. We can apply the lessons learned from these letters to our lives right here, right now. So Ephesus, we looked at last week. Today, we're going to look at Smyrna, then there's Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These are the churches that John was to deliver this letter to. And it's physical churches. It is a blessing to be able to receive or see or read what these churches actually read. And we're going to look now in Revelations 2 and unpacked this second church called the persecuted church. In verse number 8, Revelations 2, and the Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, Smyrna, write these things, says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, the tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are, uh, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt. By the second death, the persecuted church. So first of all, we've got to look at the city this is addressed to. This letter is addressed to a church in the city of Smyrna. And it is one of the, it is actually the only city that is still remaining out of the seven letters that were addressed to. It's the only city that's still remaining there. These cities in ancient times were in a place called Asia Minor, but now we understand that's Western Turkey. And this city still actually remains today, and it's called Izmir. It's there today. It's the only one that's there. But back in the day, or back in its day, it was like a worship center, not for God, but for Rome. This city was uh, built up and they followed or they worshipped Rome. They worshipped Caesar and they had such a tight link with Rome that they said, listen, we are going to um, uh, set this up as our, uh, our religion. Now, Judaism was a legal religion at the time, but they just also accepted the worship of emperors. So much so that that city was the first city to have a major temple of Tiberius, one of the Roman emperors. They focused totally on worshipping Rome, worshipping, and they had to sacrifice, they had to burn incense and say things like Caesar is Lord. This is the city that that John is writing this letter to and Jesus is speaking to. So right in the middle of that, there's a church there. When this letter was written, the church was going for about 30 years and there was such oppression. It will be like setting up a church in the middle of Dubai. Or setting up a church right now in China. Uh, You know, it's such a marvel to me that we still have uh, Chinese underground churches. You know, what we did on Saturday, you can't do that in China. That will literally uh, get you arrested. Come on, Isaac, you go preach in in China, you'll get arrested. Your your dream will come true. Uh, That happens over there. That happens over there in countries. In countries right now, there's certain countries you can't just go out, carry a Bible, speak about Jesus Christ. But this is the picture of this city right here. So a church in the middle of all this uh, uh, 
pagan idol worship. So of course, they're going to feel persecution. They're going to be oppressed. They're going to be suppressed. There's going to be threatened and all these things. So we're going to unpack how this letter will encourage them or how it encouraged them and how well it will encourage us also. So right here, we're seeing or we're starting with an introduction to Jesus Christ. It says, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. So before Jesus deals with the tribulation that's going to come to them, before he starts to talk about or starts to encourage them, he first comes with three things. The first thing is an identification. He lets them know who is speaking to them. He lets us know who is in complete control. He says the first and the last. And we understand this is an eternal characteristic that only belongs to God. It belongs to God and God alone. In Isaiah, he uses this over and over. Uh, One of the most famous ones is Isaiah 44 and verse number 6. It says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. So the first thing Jesus does is introduce himself as the everlasting one. Introduce himself as the one that doesn't have a beginning, doesn't have an end, everlasting to everlasting, so that we understand who is running the show. We understand who is our savior. It is the one that, uh, who is in complete control of everything. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come again. Can you say amen in this place? The first thing Jesus does to encourage this church is identify himself. And listen, church, I believe he does that because sometimes we forget. We forget the credentials of who Jesus Christ is. You know, when I was on Saturday, I was speaking to a person and he's telling me, yes, I believe Jesus Christ is a prophet. Listen, and he was a good boy, he's a good man. I was like, no, no, he's much more than a good man. He is the first and the last. And when you understand that about Jesus, you begin to change. Your outlook on life completely changes. So he identified himself. The second thing he did was brought his credentials with him. So he said the first and the last, and it says, who was dead and came to life. In other words, Jesus let them know his CV. You know, back in school, they, uh, they had this, this, this um, lesson for CV writing. Because they said it's very important to let potential employers know what experience you have. You need to make sure you can sell yourself correctly because they look at your experience, see what you've done, see what you can handle. Well, Jesus is saying, listen, guys, I died and I am now alive. In other words, the things that everyone is afraid of, I have conquered. And the thing that, that's going to come to all of you, I have overcome that. I was dead, but now I'm alive again. The grave wasn't enough to swallow me up. It couldn't hold me. It could not contain me. That's on my list of credentials. I've conquered the very thing that everybody is afraid of. Think about fear. Fear is driven by the fact of death. We're scared of certain things because at the end of it, it could lead to death. Some people are scared of flying because they're scared the thing will fall out the sky, they'll crash and you'll die. Some people are scared of spiders because they think somehow the spider's going to bite me, I'm going to get some, some disease, I'm going to die. Some people are scared of, of rides, roller coaster rides, because they think the roller coaster rides is going to fall off and I'm going to die. 
So it's always a fear and it ends with death. Well, Jesus is saying that thing that everybody is afraid of. I went through that and I came out the other end. I'm the one who was dead, but now I'm alive. I've conquered that thing. It's done with it. So he's letting them know, listen, you don't have to be afraid because I've conquered death. Can you say amen in this place? He is the risen one. He is the one who is victorious, the conqueror. And he's saying in this letter, listen, it is me, the one who's risen from death. So he identified himself. He gave his credentials. But then he moved on to show empathy. In the letter, Jesus says, I know. I know, I know, I know. Now, last week, we saw how Jesus said, I know your works. In other words, nothing can be hidden from Christ. He sees the good. He sees the bad. Nothing can be hidden. He sees everything. But here, it's more a case of, I know. In other words, I know what you're going through. I know the suffering you're going through and are about to go through. I'm identifying myself with the tribulation because I have been through it. Now, this letter is interesting because this is one of only two letters that didn't really have a, a, a rebuke. It didn't really have like a thing that Jesus said, I have this against you, like he spoke at other churches. This was more just to encourage him. And he's saying, I know what you're going through. I've walked the path that you are walking, that you are, you're gonna, you are going to walk. I've done it. I've tasted it. I've worn a t-shirt. I've got, I know what's going on. Look at John 15 and verse number 18. The Bible says, listen, if the world hates you you know that it hated me before it hated you if you are of the world uh, it would love its own but yet because you are not of this world but I chose you out of the world therefore the world hates you you know sometimes we're going through things we're going through persecution because of our faith it's easy to think that God has forgotten us when we're going through certain trials because of decisions we've made it's easy to think God listen you you can't see what I'm going through but he says I know I know verse number nine I know your works and the first word he uses there is tribulation that word tribulation literally means crushing as if you would put uh, uh, grapes uh, inside a meal and you'd crush it out to get the grape juice. You, it literally means crushing, pushing. It is a tribulation. And no, we have to kind of distinguish. This isn't the great tribulation. It is just tribulation. So tribulation, small t, the source of that is the world. The great tribulation, however, the source of that is God. That's God's wrath coming down. But he's talking about tribulation of the world. He understands this is coming our way. This is coming your way. And look at John 16, verse number 33, familiar, familiar portion of scripture. It says, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Because in the world you will have tribulation. It says, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. I know Jesus is saying, I can identify with you. If you haven't had tribulation, listen, it's coming. But when it comes, listen, know that Jesus can identify with you. Know that Jesus knows what you're going through. When people ostracize you at work or at school because of your beliefs, know that Jesus Christ knows what you're going through. If you're there trying to preach and people don't want to hear the message, know Jesus Christ knows what you're going through. Listen, stand firm knowing that he has an understanding of what it means for people to leave. You know, Jesus Christ, the greatest, the, the, the greatest there is, the name above all names, even he, when he preached, some people turned away from him. 
So much so people wanted to stone him at points. Jesus understands what you're going through. Verse number nine also says this, I know the works, tribulation. It also says, and poverty. But in brackets it says, but you are rich. So here we have rich and poor at the same time. But which is it? This church here in, in, in Smyrna was actually poor, like literally poor, because of the way that they lived, the city was actually rich, but Christians were poor in that time because of they were ostracized, they were put to the side, because society was built on Roman worship and worshiping Caesar and the temple, but Christians didn't want to do that, so people didn't want to interact with them, didn't want to have a, a, a business with them, didn't want to trade with them, so they literally became poor. They had uh, no finances because they didn't make a living. They wasn't lazy or anything like that. The economy was set against them because of their beliefs. Certain things weren't allowed or afforded to them. So they became poor. They were literally poor. So why is Jesus saying, yes, you're poor, but you are rich? What is, what is he talking about here? Well, when he says that, it reminds me of Luke chapter 12, the parable he tells him. We're going to read it a couple of verses. Luke chapter 12, verse number 16. It says, Then Jesus, he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought with himself, saying, What should I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. There I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have, made, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And whose will these things be which you have provided? And verse number 21 says, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So in other words, there's a possibility to be rich but spiritually bankrupt. And the other is true as well. It's also possible to be poor but spiritually rich, as in rich toward God. And this is the case that Jesus was talking about. He's saying, listen, I know you don't have no money, but you are rich. And he's talking about real riches, riches that won't rust or riches that people can't come in and steal and destroy, riches that will last for eternity. So yes, you're poor. I know what you're going through, but he says in brackets, but you are rich. How many people would like Jesus to say that about you? Listen, you're rich. Not talking about your bank account, but Jesus is saying, listen, I know what it feels like. He has empathy. Jesus is saying, I know. I want to look secondly with you then at the testing of tribulation. So what is this letter meant to do? Why did Jesus want to send this letter to this church in Smyrna? Well, it gives us the nature of tribulation. First of all, tribulation is not to be feared. Verse number 10, it says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. And his reason he's saying do not fear is because church, there's going to come a time where society will put things in our way that could potentially cause us to be afraid to, to be linked with Jesus Christ. Your workplace might put things in your way that might cause you to be afraid to say, no, I can't work Sunday. Why can't you work Sunday? Because that's when I serve in my church. Listen, you might be afraid to speak up in your, in, in your friend, your social circles because of what would happen. So Jesus is saying, do not be afraid because this world will put things in our way that might cause us to be afraid to be identified with Christ. We know Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verse, verse number 28, it says, Do not fear those who can just kill the body, 
but can't kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, don't fear the things you are about to suffer. Yes, you are going to go through it, but you should not fear. You should not have a fearful disposition. Yes, these things might come to you. Yes, actually, you should expect it, but don't fear. You know, I find it interesting. In the book of Acts, when Peter and James were arrested, James was literally beheaded. Peter was in prison and he was next. You know, there was a riding together. So if you see your friend James beheaded, you're in prison. Well, you're going to be next. But what does our Bible say that Peter was doing? He was in prison asleep. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm, if I'm with my boy and we're, we're preaching the gospel, we're preaching out there, uh, and someone get, we both get arrested, and they take my boy and they go and kill him, and they're waiting for me. Listen, I'm thinking, boy, I'm next. <laughs> I'm not sleeping a wink, right? But Peter understood what Jesus is saying. Listen, I don't need to be fearful. I don't need to fear this. Why? Because Jesus Christ has overcome. He is an overcomer. Yes, you can kill my body, but that's all that you can do. So tribulation is there, it's not to be feared, but also tribulation is there to test. In our scripture it says, Indeed the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. Now when it says prison, now in those days prison was different, because right here, right now, we try and use prison to uh, be a rehabilitation. We use prison to try and rehabilitate people and bring them back into society. That's what prison is used for. But back then, prison wasn't used for rehabilitation. It was used to keep you until you die. It was used to, uh, as, a, as a holding cell until they execute you. So when he says they're going to throw you into prison, um, that is a massive test. Um, and listen, it's not a case that uh, Jesus said, okay, you're going to go to prison. We're going to come and find you and come and bring you out. Some, some people didn't make it out of prison. We're told in Matthew 11 that, that the John the Baptist, the mighty preacher, who was, uh, who was the forerunner of Jesus Christ, was in prison. And he had to send his disciples to Jesus and say, listen, can you go ask that Jesus guy? Listen, is he the Messiah or do we wait for somebody else? Because he was in prison knowing what's going to happen. And notice Jesus' response. He said, listen, go and tell him the things you hear and see. Jesus didn't send out a rescue party to say, okay, listen, go and do this. We're going to rescue from prison. No, he just said, go and tell him the things you see and hear. And tell him, don't worry about it. The kingdom is right here, bro. Don't fear nothing. And we know the story. John went on to be executed. He didn't go out. It is there to test. You know, it's great. We say things, you know, one of the, the songs we just sang, you know, I, I like lyrics in the song. Lyrics really mean a lot to me. Um, and the song we, we just sang, uh, uh, it says, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And you know, when you sing that, it's a great song, great melody, lyrics are good and so on. But are you actually understanding what's coming out of your mouth? <laughs> I heard you all, you all sang it, so it's out there now. You all said it. You said, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Now, as we're here singing that in a nice building with lights and, and, and screens and stuff, it's, it's easy to say that. Uh, but it's a firing squad is pointing at you. You say, I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. It's a different story. It's a different story. So tribulation is there to test or to refine us or to bring us to a place where we stand steadfast on what Jesus has actually promised us. What do we actually believe? You know, when push comes to shove, when the dust settles, when the rubber meets the road, you actually understand what people believe. 
It's when you see when the test comes. So tribulation is there not to be feared. It will test us, but it's also for a period of time. This isn't forever. In our text, the Bible says you will have tribulation 10 days. Now we know Revelation is a book of, of, of imagery and so on and so forth. So, you know, many commentators have tried to kind of uh, understand what this 10 days means. Does it mean 10 years? Does it mean 10 decades, 10 age? What, whatever it means, what I understand it to mean is that it is limited. However long it will be, it is limited. It's gonna, it has a beginning, but it's going to have an end. In other words, tribulation, the things that we go through is not going to last forever. We are going to see the end of it. We're going to see um, the other side of it. Um, we need to hold fast to that. Whatever it is um, that we're going through, there's going to be an end. There's going to be a, a point where that's it. Jesus Christ is going to wrap this up um, and it's going to come uh, to an end. I want to move uh, to my third and final point uh, to bring a bit of good news in this place. Because we've talked about tribulation. We've talked about how Jesus said this is going to happen. Uh, but it says uh, in our text, in verse number said. Verse number 10, it says, but be faithful unto death. And it says, and I will give you the crown of life. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And I want to consider with you casting crowns. You know that song we sing, casting crowns, lifting hands, bowing hearts. It's all we've come to do. I get the picture of this. When Jesus said, if you overcome, you will receive a crown. And in those in those times, it's talking about the crown you would receive as an athlete, as you would go past the finish line and they would give you the crown that goes on your head to celebrate what you've done. This is the type of crown we're talking about, the crown of life. And it says the second death will not harm you. And if we read in verse uh, Revelation chapter 20, we understand the second death it's referring to is the lake of fire. And it's saying this will not touch you. And we have to understand that there are those who are born once, but will die twice. And there's also those who are born twice, but will only die once. Because when we're born again, when we're born again, we enter into um, that promise of God. We enter into what God, uh, what Jesus has prepared for us. Um, I was preaching on Saturday um, and a guy came up to my face saying, Jesus um, did not say you must be born again. I'm like, I didn't even waste my time. I'm like, just pick up a Bible and read it before you come and argue with me. He clearly said you must be born again, uh, born once uh, of the water, but you must be born of the spirit uh, in order to do that. So when you are born twice, this second death will not harm you. And when we understand that, we can really stand and say, listen, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Because I know this second death is not going to touch me because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You know this church in Smyrna, we have the oldest record of the Christian martyr was actually from this church. Um, his name was uh, Polycarp, and um, you know, at the time of writing this letter, he would have been a member of that church, would have been in, in his 20s, 
And they would have read it out because, you know, when they receive letters, they read it out before the whole congregation. So this young man, Polycott, would have heard the words that Jesus said. If you endure talking about the tribulation you're going to have, he would have heard those words. But after a while, John was actually released from the island. He came and discipled this man, Polycott. And we've got the history books to tell us. It's not recorded in the Bible, but we've got books of history to tell us. And this man, Polycott, actually became the, uh, the bishop or the pastor of the church in Smyrna and it was there he ran the church for 40 years and the, 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 the tribulation became so powerful so much to the church he said listen you need to go because they're going to kill you they're coming for you and we don't want them to take you and he says listen let them come I don't mind if they come but he said no you've got to go so he reluctantly went into hiding they sent him into hiding and uh, uh, he was in some old farmhouse uh, um, and he was, a, he was an 86 year old man um, and eventually, you know, the, the, the Roman officers, they went to go find him. They tortured some of the, the people from the, ter- the church until they told them where he was. Uh, the Roman soldiers, they went to go find him. They found where he was, uh, and they saw some old 86-year-old man that had, they had been sent to kill. And they looked at this and said, we can't even do this. They didn't want to, want to do it. But he said, listen, if you want to take me, fine, take me. But all I ask is that you just give me one hour to pray. And he prayed for a whole hour um, and it's written down in, in witnesses that saying some of the Roman soldiers heard him pray and turned their life to Jesus Christ just from hearing him pray. But as they was praying, obviously they still said, we've got to take you. And as they were taking him back to go to bring him before the emperor, they was pleading with the man saying, we don't want to kill you. You're an old man. All you've got to do is take a pinch of incense and burn it and say, Caesar is Lord. That's all you've got to do. You don't even have to believe it. Just do it, say it, and that's it done. And he says, he, we were silent. For the whole journey, they was pleading, saying, we don't want to kill you. Just take the incense, burn it, say, Caesar is Lord, and that's it done. To the point where he, they took him and they brought him before the emperor and he threatened him saying, listen, we've got wild beasts. Because in those days, the Romans were cruel. They used to kill Christians in all sorts of ways, put them on racks, stretch them, cut them, boil them. They used to feed them to hungry lions and so on. And they had hungry lions in a big coliseum. But the problem was that they had killed loads of Christians before so the, the lions were full. So they didn't want to eat anymore. So they couldn't send him to the, to the, to the lions. But they said, listen, I can burn you instead. And they said, all you've got to do is denounce Jesus Christ. It's funny, they called Christians atheists back in those days. Can you believe it? And he says, all you've got to do is point to the atheists and say, leave Rome. What he did, he didn't point to the Christians. He pointed to the Jews who believed and worshipped God and said, you atheists, you've got to leave Rome. That made them angry and said, we're going to burn you. What you've got to do is denounce Jesus Christ. These are the words that Polycarp said, and it's written down as eyewitnesses These are his words. It says, 80 and six years I have served Christ and he has never done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? Can you imagine? He's facing not potential death, certain death. And he has the the boldness to speak like that. Church, do you have the boldness to look anybody in the eye and say, how can I blaspheme Jesus Christ? You know, I thank God and I don't wish persecution on the UK. I, you know, I, I pray as long as I live that we can have the freedom to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I've settled deep down in my heart that if that was to slightly change somehow 
And I can kind of see how it's going to change, right? You can see it already. But if that was to change to where tomorrow the government said you can't pre- you preach, you're going in prison. Listen, I settled deep down in my heart saying, well, then take me to jail. Throw away the key. Because I've served Christ all this time and he has done me no harm. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Church, we should be encouraged that the world that we see that's so uh, upside down right now, we can go against that and say, listen, we're going to stand strong. Do what you want to do. You can see how aggressive, there's an aggressive agenda that is opposing God. I just read the other day, Kirk Cameron, he's a Christian actor. And what he did, he wanted to go and read story times to children in libraries uh, in the US. And the reason he's doing that is because the libraries have opened their doors to to transgenders who want to come and read to to children. I pray, I hope that nonsense doesn't come into the UK. uh, But they wanted to read, uh, but they let the transgenders in and they're dressed in all sorts of nonsense. But when they said, I want to read it, when Kirk Cameron said, I want to read a Christian book, the library said no. He took them to court, then they finally opened their doors. But this is what we're fighting against. This is what we're pushing against. And church, Jesus Christ wants to encourage us and say, listen, be faithful unto death. And you will receive the crown of life. Don't let society, don't let friends, don't let your workplace, your, your, your boss at work dictate what you do, how you serve God, how you conduct your life. Be faithful unto death. One of the things, I've said this before, one of my roles as a pastor is to prepare people to die. That may sound morbid, but no, we know the Bible says that to be absent here, from here, this body, to be absent here is to be present with the Lord. And we need to have that eternal view as we look at society getting worse and worse and worse and how this letter will be addressed to us one day. And we're going to have to make a decision to say, I have decided to follow Jesus and no turning back. Listen, we're going to receive the crown of life. Make sure that when we have that crown, then when we stand before God, just like the song says, we take that crown and cast it before him because of all he has done for us. We can stand firm on the promises of Jesus Christ, knowing that nothing in this world will separate us. Nothing in this world will take us out. And we have to understand that because we're coming into a time where persecution will start to hit home and start to hit this very place let's be encouraged and Jesus says be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life let's bow our heads let's close our eyes in this place right now